Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah, get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a bee. What's going on, everybody? This is the Feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell, along with my co-host, my highly regarded uh, Brock, Brock Landis. Brock, how are you today, my, my, my good friend? I'm all right, man. I'm, I'm trying to maneuver the Sunday scaries after watching that six with that. <laughs> right, um, but I'm, it, I'm doing well other than that. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. Uh, before we uh, before we get going, make sure to uh, subscribe to us. Uh, give us a review. Give Brock five stars. Give me one star. I know. I know the drill. Um, and if you have comments, questions, whatever, feel free to leave them in the chat. We'll, we'll answer them as the show goes along. Um, but Brock, we we it was the first game after a five month layoff. Uh, they had a lot of time to prepare, and. Well, you see, what had happened was <laughs> they weren't prepared. <laughs> um, um, TJ Warren, has ha- who's had a tremendous year against the Sixers, um, mm-hmm. he 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 was no stranger to the to the basket last night. A career high fifty three points um, in in that in that game against the Sixers. Um, did you know that he has a true shooting percentage of seventy eight percent in four in four <laughs> games against the Sixers this year? 78%. That's unbelievable. And in every game, I think he's taken over 10 field goals, too. I mean, he's been it, effective. 29 the first time they played, 21-21, I think, and then 53 out of nowhere. But it looked like it was clockwork for him. It was unbelievable. Um, and it wasn't like it was something that he was just overcoming incredible defense. It wasn't that. They The Sixers looked to be in, in pretty much shambles. Um, as soon as she got going and, you know, early on, I thought that they were effective with, with, with trying to play Ben at the elbows. He even opened the game with, you know, an isolation dunk at the elbow. Um, but as soon as things got like a little bit like calmer and, and, and the Sixers sort of, you know, they, 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 they sort of fell off the schneid for that, for, for that, for that hot start. The Pacers clawed back into it, and the Sixers went away from everything that worked. It was like, okay, we, well, this stopped working. We got to go away from this now. Um, and you know, the Pacers put in Jakar Sampson to go small ball. As soon, um, as soon as he, you know, comes in the game, it's a whole different story. 
for whatever reason, the Sixers, as much as they prepared, were not prepared to handle Jakar Sampson playing the set, playing center. <laughs> he's six seven. Like this isn't this isn't a legitimate center either. Let's emphasize they went small, and the biggest player on the floor was six seven, and the Sixers have three players on the floor at all times that are taller than six seven. So for a team that's predicated upon playing bully ball. I think they did a really good job in the early half of this game, and Joel Embiid throughout the entire game did a good job establishing a post presence and a pay presence. But for the rest of Philadelphia, I think they were a little coy. Um, if Jakar Sampson is the tallest player on the floor, there is no excuse as to why Philadelphia should not have blown this team out. Yeah, and I think you know what gets lost in it, at least from what I've observed, is that. People don't even mention the fact that the Pacers were down two starters, one of which was an all-star this season. So the Pacers really had no business winning this game. And yet here we are discussing a loss um, you know, to kick things off in the Orlando bubble. It's not a good taste in the mouth of the Sixers. Um, I, I don't care what Brown, what Brad Brown says after the game. He can credit TJ Warren as much as he wants. It was not a good taste had it, um, you know, in their first game in the bubble. Now – um, people, you know, are talking about the turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. The the the, th- the thing with the turnovers that we can't neglect is is are two things. One is that um, Shake Milton was playing his first game of extended minutes in the starting lineup with a bunch of guys who he had never played big minutes with ever before. That was the first time that he had been with that group of, of players in a meaningful regular season game. The Grizzlies are not. The, uh, the the Pacers are not the Grizzlies, so it wasn't going to be a walk in the park. They're a physical, big team. They're aggressive. They're vying for a playoff spot. It's not going to be a walk in the park for, like, like it was against the Grizzlies for, for uh, Shake Milton. And so there were chemistry issues there. He was obviously a little shell-shocked by it. Another thing is you have Ben Simmons. You're, they're trying to change this offense, right, and, and mold Ben into a point into a power forward on the go. In the middle of this, of all this chaos that's ensuing with this, with this COVID and the bubble and whatnot, um, now with you know with that, and they're playing him at the elbow now instead of having him up top as a primary ball handler. They're trying to figure out and navigate spacing and how that works, and they're doing a lot of horn sets. For those who don't know, with the horn set, your <laughs> boy, <laughs> with the horn set. You are um, you're, you're you're trying. You know, you have two bigs up at the free throw line area, maybe extended or maybe even pushed up a little bit more towards the top of the arc. And then your ball, your ball handler is going to make a decision as to how to screen, as to how to go on the play. Does he go with the better shooting big and go for a pick and pop, or does he go for the you know for for the dive of the rim off of the not great shooting big in Ben Simmons in this case, and go for the go for the pick and roll. Either, either way you go, the other big is hoping that the defense miscommunicates and they leave somebody open, and it's either the guy cutting to the rim or the guy popping out for the three-point shot. But that's the idea of the Horns offense. The problem is they were leaving far too much space between the ball handler trying to make the entry pass and the receiving player in the post. So as a result – Pacers were able to get in those passing lanes, able to get in the middle, and they're able to create havoc with live ball turnovers, and that crushed the Sixers throughout this game. In terms of understanding the offense and 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 and, and attention to detail, 
you have to pull those those bigs up higher or initiate the offense down lower. But if you're going to maximize your space with that offense, you have to pull them up higher so that way your point guard can actually come outside of the lane to run the offense. Last night the spacing was 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 poor, um, and I, they just looked disheveled pretty much on all fronts. And they very quickly reverted back to their old offense with Ben Simmons, you know, just driving the car, um, you know, trying to trying to you know I guess bully in some sense. But they they were clearly very flustered very quickly. Yeah, and what I want to look at before I dive deeper into Brett Brown's performance during this game. Uh, was the wing play and the guard play on Philadelphia's behalf. And I think this spacing is most negatively affecting Josh Richardson. And Jay Rich had an 8.9% usage and 8.3 usage for Shake. So if your two primary ball handlers in the half court have a usage of below 10%, that means they're essentially obsolete in that half court. And to make matters mer- worse, Richardson played the most minutes of any player in the fourth quarter on the Sixers. And his usage percentage in that corner – in that quarter was 3.8. For reference, TJ McConnell's was 13.3. So I think Richardson is really struggling to find his role in this team. I alluded to that a week or two ago. Three turnovers in, in his performance, and on 40 touches, he passed the ball 32 times. So what I think is happening with Josh is that he was good at a lot of secondary off-ball movements in Miami. A lot of people said that, that Josh was experimented with in Miami as a point guard, but the highest percentage of minutes he spent playing at point in Miami was 12%. A lot of his time was either spent at the two-guard position or small forward. In Philadelphia, a career-high 19% of his minutes are coming at point guard. And the problem with that is he's not a point guard. He struggles in the pick-and-roll scenario, and he's much better off of the dribble handoff, off of screens, cutting, doing things of that sort with a primary ball handler. Unfortunately, Shake Milton got into early foul trouble, and he wasn't the primary ball handler for this game. So Josh is forced to do a little bit more, and the spacing is hurting him because if you have Joel Embiid on the low block and Richardson's game is really revolved around taking his man deep into the paint, the heart of the defense, he's running right into a logjam, and that happened pretty frequently. So I think Josh is, is struggling to find his role, and until he carves that out, you're, you're going to see a lot of nights like this. Shake Milton, I said he got into early foul trouble, but – it was really the rotations that threw me off in this game, Austin. There was a lot of wacky combinations of players, and I just think it was really counterproductive. So before we dive into Brett Brown, I just wanted to take a look at the wing play on Philadelphia's behalf. Sure. And I want to address as well, Wild West comment uh, first. Honestly, I think – I honestly think Embiid is hurting this team. I don't know how you can say Joel Embiid's hurting this team when he has 41 points in 34 minutes on – 15 and 23 shooting with 21 rebounds, four assists, three blocks, um, and a plus 21. I, I I don't see how you can say Embiid's the problem here. He's not the problem. He's clearly the only reason they were in this game, or really when they when they when they beat good teams, he's the primary reason why they beat those good teams. Um, the, the 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 coach does not have his players prepared. I don't feel like. Obviously, they weren't prepared when. The, there, there was no adjustment. There was no remedy for T.J. Warren coming off of off-ball screens, getting to the middle of the lane, and then basically having, you know, a a, a, a wide open, you know, a, a wide you know, a, a menu of options to, to choose from. Um, now, you know, people want to say COVID or, or you know or the chemistry. Everyone has bad chemistry. 
sure, and the crowd and the, and the energy from the crowd doesn't help, but the fact of the matter is that nobody has the energy from the crowd. Nobody does. So that's not an excuse anymore. We, it's, it's a level playing field. You have to come out and perform. And last night, they were not ready to play. Um, but I want to revisit the rotations that you were talking about. Um, I thought it was certainly a decision that, that, that they go with, uh, that the Brown opted to go with uh, Neto to close the game out. That was an interesting one when you could have gone with, oh, I don't know, Matisse Thibel, Alec Burks, a bunch of, a, a bunch of better options that would put you in a better position to win the basketball game than how Neto does. Um, and, you know, I get it. You know, Neto might provide you a little more structure, a little more scheme. Um, and that's sort of, you know, that, that comes back to the foundation of what they do on offense. But in the closing stages of a basketball game, when the pieces are odd fitting, you can't just resort to your traditional offense. That is high turnover, um, you know, n- not great shooting or, uh, you know, what, what have you. You have to put the pieces on the court that make that put your best player in a position to be successful. Howell Neto doesn't do that. He has a nice assist turnover ratio. Sure. Um, Burks has tunnel vision. Sure. But Alec Burks provides spacing. He provides secondary, even tertiary ball handling ability. He can run a pick and roll and he can shoot the basketball. That helps him be spacing and makes his life all the more easier. So I disagree with that decision. The decision to play Matisse Thibel, 11 minutes, I thought was a joke. He had four fouls, sure. He also had two left. That if, he had, if he ends a game with four fouls, that means he has two left. You could have used him more than what you did. And put, you know, there were situations where, you, where, where, where he could have been effective, especially late in that game. So if he fouls somebody, okay, fine, he burns a foul. Then, 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 then what? If he fouls out, okay, you weren't using him anyway. So why, why are you afraid to use the, use the kid? I mean, it, 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 he has to get playing time in order to get better. Now, the, the decision to go with 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 Neto over Burks in the first half, when Milton picked up, uh, picked up his or in the second early in the stages of the third quarter, when Milton picked up his fourth foul, I thought that made more sense because structure to the offense, Embiid is is becomes the focal point more so, and it isn't just like a bunch of guys trying to figure out how to score. It's Neto's going to help Embiid get the ball. He's going to get the ball to the best player. And that kind of made sense to me. But again, rotations are, are, are too rigid. They're too rigid with this team. You were probably a little more calm than I'm going to be. Um, I, I had many more problems with the rotations. And I say that because Alonetto <laughs> barely played in, in the three scrimmages that Philadelphia played over the previous weekend, right? Now, why is he playing 20 minutes in the opening game against Indiana? I mean, there was times when him and Ben Simmons, I believe it was in the third quarter or the fourth, I'm not sure, Ben Simmons throws a lead pass to Howell Neto, and Howell Neto either slows up and doesn't catch the ball or Ben Simmons threw the ball a little too far ahead of Howell Neto. But that's indicative of a lack of chemistry on the floor. If there's a different player, a complementary piece like Glenn Robinson or Josh Richardson moving off ball in that scenario – that simple play gets executed, in my opinion. Now, I usually think that Brett Brown is is a moron. Um, but given <laughs> Brett the benefit of the doubt because he's a professional NBA coach, I'll say he's a smarter basketball mind than me. I'm okay admitting that. But 
when I watch Toronto or when I watch Milwaukee or even a team like Orlando, teams in the half court simplify the game. I just want to know. I need an explanation from Brett Brown why it seems like he does everything to prevent these things from happening. I don't know if it's a personnel problem and Philadelphia doesn't have players that can execute this simple brand of basketball or it's Brett Brown doing these things to the team, but I just like an explanation as to why these simplified games within the game can't be executed in Philadelphia's offense. So go ahead, go ahead. No, you go ahead. All right. These were some of my notes, my, my observations from the game. What I did like was to close the half, I saw a five of Matisse Thibel, Richardson, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid. Austin, you and I for weeks have talked about what the closing lineup for Philadelphia would look like, and I thought that was a good sneak peek of potentially what Philadelphia can close the game with in the fourth quarter. I think defensively that's a good enough lineup, and and offense you get production from three players. Those three players, Tobias, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid, they took 24 of the Sixers' 27 shots in the fourth quarter. That I also really like. I think your production needs to come from those three players in the final and most significant quarter. But here's where, where Brett Brown gets in trouble, right? Howell was essentially the seventh man this game, 20 minutes, and he only produced two points and three assists. I don't care if he's getting Joel Embiid the ball in the paint. You need to initiate more offense as the point guard coming off the bench as the seventh man. And Howell Neto just doesn't initiate offense. He's a filler, in my opinion. He's a fifth man on the floor that's just taking up space. He doesn't do anything to kickstart offense, in my opinion. So his assist-to-turnover ratio means nothing if you can't get other guys involved at the point guard position. Now, of course, the game plan may have been bully ball early. Three Pacers had two fouls in the first quarter. But why did Philadelphia stop attacking the paint outside of that first quarter? Joel Embiid had 28 points of paint. Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, they had they had a lot of points in the paint as well. But Philadelphia's attack went away from feasting in the paint, especially against a team that went small like Indiana. You have to live there. Now, there was shake, foul trouble from shake and everything. But listen, in the third quarter, Austin, Philadelphia is playing with a lead. Furkan Korkmaz a plays rarity. almost – he, he Furkan Korkmaz plays almost eight minutes. Howell Neto plays over eight minutes. In that third quarter with the lead, Matisse Thibel played two minutes and 33 seconds, and Alec Burks didn't even see the floor, right? In those 14 minutes that Korkmaz played all together, he didn't make a shot from the field. So why is he playing eight minutes in the third quarter? And to make matters worse, outside of the starters, the bench combined for five unassisted field goals made. Alec Burks had two of those, right? So why is Alec Burks not even seeing the floor in the third quarter when he's one of only three players off the bench that were producing field goals off of that that weren't assisted? These are things I just don't understand. And don't even let me get started on on the defense with with, with screens. Don't even let we're going to talk about that, but <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. The Sixers got exposed by screens the entire game and and there was really no answer for that. And that's something that's been consistent in Brett Brown's seven-year tenure in Philadelphia. I agree. Now, when you when, now let me. I have a couple things I want to. Uh, one thing I want to ask you. The other thing is like an assertion on my end. Mm-hmm. Did you think that the offensive structure and game plan made more sense two years ago than it does now, like on a game-to-game basis? 
I do, but I, I think that's dictated by personnel. I say that because right. you – okay, I go agree. ahead. I agree. That's, that's, that's part of my point. Um, so you put pieces that don't fit, it's going to be hard to maintain the same offensive structure mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Three years ago, two years ago, and they had Dario, Covington, JJ, Bellinelli, Ilyasova. Guys were cutting remarkably well off ball. The chemistry was there night in, night out. The offense worked on a consistent basis. And we all thought that Brett was like this better coach, you know, whatever. Um, you, 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 we have to be fair and say that this isn't necessarily that Brett Brown just, you know, randomly, you know, is incompetent and, and, and goes away from the offense. It's because the pieces he has at his disposal require him to make those things work, require him to make adjustments and go away from things that are working in order to fit the pieces on the floor. And you can't just not play your bench. You can't just not play the bench. You have to have a second unit to alleviate the pressure and the stress on the on on, the, on your starters. So when you have to sub the bench guys in, you have to you know something has to give. You have to change up things in order to make the pieces fit better. So that's well, sure that could be partially on Brett Brown because he ultimately, I believe, does sign off on 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 decisions. But ultimately, it's the management to put the pieces on the court together that actually fit. So that's that's why I asked that question of you. Now, you said with like the uh, you know why they were going away from the paint. When Indiana went small, it allowed them to throw doubles and recover really quickly in the paint. So as a result, the Sixers had to go away from that because they were getting doubled immediately upon the catch, and it was it was it was you know resulting in a lot of chaos. So they got so, so they got that that got the Sixers out of the paint. Ironically, even though they went smaller, that game plan actually worked for Indiana's favor. It was good. It was well, it was well done on their part. Then the Sixers saw them in a zone. And said, "Well, we, shit, we can't go inside. We got to, we got to go outside." And then they started letting Furkan bomb threes, and everyone bombed threes. And then you know, Alec Burks, Alec Burks makes a couple, and then that breaks that, that breaks the seal, and it's over. Um, so, you know, the Pacers adjusted well, and they actually put the Sixers in a tough spot. And the Sixers knew they couldn't go inside because as soon as they were throwing in entry passes, the Pacers were right there to get in the way and create live ball turnovers. And the last thing, if you're going to have a turnover against a really good team, the last thing you want to do is have a live ball turnover. The more you let athletic wings get out in the live ball system of play, the more chaos it's going to be and the more pressure it's going to put on your defense. Brock, I see you had a nice little vacation there. Welcome back. Yeah, I, I got a little fed up. I didn't want to talk about the Sixers anymore. <laughs> I, left. I, I had to take a breather. Um, I'm glad to have you back. <laughs> thanks. One of the things that bothered me, um, a comment kind of took the words out of my mouth. Ferk shouldn't have played after his first run. Uh, I just said that playing in the third quarter, almost eight minutes is inexcusable. And in 14 minutes total, he didn't make one shot from the field. So I'm not sure what Brett Brown is doing, and and I do think the loss of Glenn Robinson does hurt. But again, we're talking about a really thin Indiana team. And this team, they produced around T.J. Warren, but T.J. Warren was essentially this entire offense. And his fourth quarter production is really infuriating because in the first, he was super hot, I believe 19 in the first. 
in the second double-digit points. In the third quarter, he goes one of five. Now, here's something I noticed. Warren scored more points and got more shots off against Tobias Harris than Thibel. He went over to against Matisse Thibel. And Thibel defended him for a little longer than he defended – or than Tobias Harris defended him, I should say. And yet Thibel played two minutes and 33 seconds in that third quarter. In that third quarter. You could chalk that up to foul trouble, but this is just something that could have potentially slowed down T.J. Warren, and yet he still erupted for 50-plus points. He goes 9 of 10 from the field, 5 of 5 from distance against Ben Simmons. But Simmons got abused by screens. Now, for Indiana, they had 42 screen-assisted points. That's 30% of their points coming off of screens. I don't understand how Philadelphia defensively can just go over every single screen. And oftentimes there's more than one screen. So you're forcing Ben Simmons to go over two screens now just to try to get a hand in the face of TJ Warren. And Warren was pulling from like three feet beyond the arc. So Ben Simmons was working tirelessly the entire game to get around screens to try to get a hand in the face of TJ Warren. And it, it, it didn't work. And Philadelphia constantly drops their big man into the paint and they, they, they isolate their guard at the top of the perimeter and force them to try to work around these screens, and it just doesn't work. So, so teams really expose and abuse Philadelphia with these screens, and defensively, I thought that's why the effort was so poor. No matter who Philadelphia threw at T.J. Warren, Indiana just worked harder to get their player open. And that's something where Austin, I was going to talk about this when, when you asked about did scheme work two years ago, I mean, I think personnel is 95% responsible for for this type of stuff because it's like if you have a guy like J.J. Redick, you can do creative things in the half court to substitute for not running the pick and roll. You can do what Miami does with Duncan Robinson. You can do what Milwaukee does with Chris Middleton. There are other players on these teams that, that teams work to get open. DHOs, they set off ball screens. There's backdoor cutting. I just don't I don't know why every time I have to tune into the 76ers playing, there's one point of attack and then four guys standing still in the half court. It's so counterproductive, and if you're not going to do a pick and roll, if you're not going to do a DHO, then what are you going to do? In the fourth quarter, Howell Neto is your, is your floor spacer. He's your catch and shooter. The dude didn't see the floor in any of the scrimmages. He has two points. No one respects Howell Neto as a shooter. No one respects Al Horford as a shooter. Uh, Josh Richardson is not respected as a catch and shooter. So, yeah, I think personnel is really the problem here. But Brett Brown needs to do more to maximize the talent on the team. Go ahead, Austin. You got, you've been biting your tongue. You know who would be a good shooter and would be a really good piece for this team? I'm not Josh Richardson. Zach Levine would be a fantastic fit on the Sixers. Even Ryan Brokoff would be a better catch-and-shooter than anyone. Some people on Twitter don't see the value of him, but then again, that's why some people shouldn't be listened to. That's all I got to say on that matter. Anyway. Do you like shotgunning beer? Do you want to increase your shotgun time at parties? Check out my boys at the King Cobra. King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole under a second. There's also a tab puller, vent puncher, and all fits on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. on Instagram and Cobra 
is spelled with a K. For 10% discount on all products, enter the code TRUSTACOBRA10, all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. You are right. It, 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 it's very counterproductive when you have like a, it's like a one or two man game and everyone else is standing around there. It, mm-hmm. it, it makes no sense um, because this team can't shoot. <laughs> And they're they're fairly athletic group of guys. Like they really like, like Simmons, uh, you know Harris, Burks, Richardson, all guy Thibault, all guys that are athletic. You'd think they would be chomping at the bit to just be cut and then go right off ball into and you know down, you know and just receive a pass down the middle of the lane and dunk it. They don't seem to care about the opportunity. It's like they, it's like someone didn't tell them, hey, you can actually cut off ball here and well, and, and and go back door. These let, these guys. These defenders are like quarterbacks, you, or corner, corner, cornerbacks. You have to be elusive in order to get looks off ball. You have to actually move, which maybe calls in the shape. It calls in the question if they are is in as good shape as they say they are. I will say this: I thought MB was in phenomenal shape last night. Of course, of course, twenty-eight points in the paint, twelve free throw attempts. If you watch some of the best players league wide, James Harden, Anthony Davis, one of the most important factors of their game is getting to the line. And Joel Embiid shooting 12 free throws attempt is right on par. 21 rebounds and three blocks. There was nothing Joel Embiid did in this game that I minded. I thought Tobias Harris had a great game. I liked 21 shots. He made 12 of them, so fairly efficient. He took eight threes, which is exactly what we've been asking for. More shots from beyond the arc. He had 63 touches and no turnovers, which is incredible. And he, too, had 16 points in the paint. So the two of them were productive. Ben Simmons was also productive. The trio did a good job in the fourth quarter taking over. But, Austin, I've been making this video on Macau Bridges, and I'm not going to use this time to dwell on the fact that Philadelphia traded away Macau Bridges, but when I watch him, it's, Mikhail. it's so refreshing. Macau Bridges, yeah. You it, might want to edit that in the video before you publish it. Well, I haven't done the audio yet, so that <laughs> what did I say? What did I call him? Macau. Macau. So what it's, is it? What? Mick, meh, and then like meh? the meh, and then the and like the food kale, Mikhail. Mikhail. Yeah. What did I say, Mikhail? Mikhail. <laughs> okay. Like, like uh, you're, but, say, you're saying like meh, and then like the the animal a cow. It's meh, Mikhail. Mikhail. Yes. Okay. That helps, but nonetheless, Mikhail right there. Um. So so for Mikhail, there we go. His commitment to off ball movement is so refreshing. Because he's the perfect piece in transition in the half court. If things collapse, he just cuts. He, he does it via baseline. He'll go back to her. There's things he does off ball that you never see from anyone wearing a Sixers uniform. And that could also be Monty Williams. And, and Phoenix does draw up plays for Mikhail to go back to her or get a cut. They draw up plays and use decoys and stunts and off ball screens to get him open. And he's not a player that prides himself on three-point shooting or catch-and-shooting. He's an off-ball – that's where he gets his production, off-ball. So Philadelphia can do things with their players, Josh, Glenn Robinson, Tobias, to get them open looks, to get them cutting to the basket. And yet it just doesn't happen. And it, it makes me wonder, is this a personnel problem or is it just the players being underutilized? Yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly – you know, a token of the players being underutilized um, and, you know, and, and being misused. And, you know, it's a shame that we could, that the Sixers couldn't extract any value out of Zaire Smith. Um, it looks like 
that ship has sailed. Um, not yet, at least. Not yet, at least. Oh, you still you still holding out hope? <laughs> I I am because it. I don't know. I, I don't know how to feel. I haven't seen the kid play basketball, uh, but every time he's on the court, he does look like he's playing nervous. He looks young. He he looks small. I don't know. I will say this in regards to to Zaire Smith. Um, he does look spry, and he does look like he could potentially, literally, jump out of the out of the out of the building if he wanted to. Which there are not many players in the Sixers who could do that. Um, but what you said about the screens and the Pacers screens and their decoy usage, and um, you know how they got Warren open, he hit, he hit the nail on the head. The Sixers and their analytical people, they believe that the mid range is the least efficient shot in basketball, and they would rather you kill them at the paint. No, then no, sorry. They they would rather give you nothing in the paint and give you nothing beyond the arc, but they'll give you anything you want in the mid range. So teams for years now have schemed on using the middle pick and roll or a side pick and roll to get a guard who can can dribble and shoot in the same sequence. Get him in that pick and roll, get him comfortable, fluid in a rhythm, and get him going. And that's how for years, not just this year, last year, for the last seven years, playmaking guards, ball handling guards have feasted on the Sixers because the Sixers will give you that mid range all day long. They just don't want you to have anything in the paint, which to the Sixers' credit, up until this year, for the most part, they've been pretty good with their paint defense. The perimeter defense, eh, at times, but their, their 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 paint defense has been pretty good. Now, last night was a prime example. T.J. Warren, you know, staggered screens from the Pacers. He's coming from the corner, starting lower, coming around those staggered screens, catching it on the go. Two dribbles, pull up, boom, gone in. So. Those the, that's how they got T.J. Warren going early on. By the mm-hmm. way, T.J. Warren has feasted on them this season, and Brown had five months, whatever it was, to to to, to look at to reflect on his team's shortcomings and make adjustments. And the same game plan was there. We're gonna give them the paint, or we're gonna give them the mid range, but nothing in the paint, nothing beyond the arc. By the way, T.J. Warren hit eight threes last night, so that's one part of your game plan shot. Now, did they give him much in the paint? No, he had a couple tough finishes that he that he that he was able to pull off, but largely nothing you know nothing significant in the paint. The as soon as you drop that big, he was waiting to mm-hmm. just pull up and it was target practice all game long. And that's what got him confident. That's what got him in that offensive rhythm. That's a significant piece of what empowered him to drop 53 points on the Sixers last night. By the way, TJ Warren, a lot of people are like, I can't believe you let TJ Warren go off, and I can't believe this is TJ Warren. Like, who the fuck is TJ Warren? 19 points per game this year. 38, 38% from three. 60% true shooting. TJ Warren's had a phenomenal, phenomenal year. Career he's been, year. He's been one of the most one of the more underrated players in the NBA. That's he is the reason the Pacers have have been able to stay afloat 
with a lot of injury turnover th- 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 this season. So let's not let's let's not bag on T on, on TJ Warren. Hats off to him. He played a great game. But the level of engagement that we saw from Ben Simmons on ball and off ball was putrid last night. TJ Warren, I believe, shot nine of ten from the field against Ben Simmons. Yep, for twenty-four points. Mm-hmm. You have to come in that game and not take the opponent for granted. You have to seal him off, deny him those cutting lanes, deny him those off-ball movements over the screen. You have to front him and make the screener commit an offensive foul to get you off his hip. You have to exhaust him. And last night, whether it was game plan or whether it was Ben Simmons' level of engagement, you did not see that. T.J. Warren was able to get open. It was, he was able to, to get comfortable and in a rhythm, and he – was perpetually green lighted. He, he he could throw, you know, a a, a, a you know a, a penny in the ocean. It, it it was that easy for him last night. And whether whether you know if it's Brett Brown, sure, then go under the screen. Meet him on the other side. If he pulls back and pops a three, so be it. I'll live with him You're hitting right. I'll I'll live with him hitting a twenty five foot shot more than I will with him stepping into an open fifteen uh, footer off the dribble and rhythm and connecting on that. I think most people would agree with that. That's why I think that defensive scheme is so problematic because you're playing on the hip of or behind players that have the clip from deep or are precise from mid-range. So that's why the Spencer Dinwiddie's, the Kyrie Irving's, and the TJ Warren's of the world can create this little window of space enough to get a shot off. And regardless of Ben Simmons or Matisse Dibble's wingspan, it's not enough to deter the shot. And, it's really not complicated basketball. You said it perfectly, Austin. These players are starting low. They're coming around screens from the low block. It's side screens on the wing. And the Sixers guards are left on an island, and they have to fight to go over the screen. And at that point, it's too late. You said it. It's target practice. And for most players that have enough space to get that shot off, that's what will happen. Now, one thing I didn't like was only four fast break points from Ben Simmons. And this is a part of Simmons' game where he finds most of his production out in transition and on the fast break. This is largely because of Philadelphia's turnovers and Indiana wasn't missing that many shots. But, Austin, do you think at any point over this next seven-game span or in the playoffs, Philadelphia may revert back to their offense from the regular season where Ben Simmons is the point guard? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You think so? I full-heartedly believe it. And I'll tell you why. Jimmy Butler said this on the podcast with JJ Redick. You can't change the offensive scheme in in, in in the season. I get it. You had five months off, whatever. It wasn't like it was five normal months to come together in the summer and work on things and figure out a new scheme. You're quarantined. You have to work out independently. And without the proper access consistently, you're basically just trying to, shay, to stay in basketball shape. So you say they had five months to prepare for this, and, and you know that, that's an offseason. Sure, but in the context of what's actually happening in our world, it doesn't really apply. So they – I would be shocked if they don't – you know, if things look really bad, they're like, all right, if we, we, throw, in, if we throw in the flag, throw in the towel, whatever it is. Um, you know, he, he's you know, back to point guard for Ben. 
That doesn't mean it's a solution going forward. In fact, under a new coach next year, which I am very confident there'll be a new coach next year on this mm-hmm. team. Um, last night, from what I got out of the press conference covering the game, um, Joel Embiid looked demoralized, and he sounded like he had he, he was like he, he was about to cry. He got 42-21, and they still couldn't win the game. Um, so you know, it, it, the moment that that Brett Brown loses Embiid's support, it's over for Brett Brown. Done. Brett, Brett, uh, Joel Embiid is virtually the only reason that Brett Brown's still there. So when when he, when Joel's fed up, goodbye. Now getting back to to, to the game, you are, yes, what you know what what you're saying about the, about the fast break points is 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 an issue. Ben Simmons only had four assists last night. Mm-hmm. Four and assists. interestingly enough, I'm not sure why this is, but two of his top five lowest assist total games came against Indiana this year. People give Nate, Nate McMillan shit. He's a good coach. I think he's a good coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think he does a good job of, strate- of strategizing and game planning for his opponents. Um, now, what did I want to say? Four fast break points. Ben Simmons at the helm, point guard. <laughs> that's awkward silence. Let's go. Let's let's go to uh, Shake Milton and Joel Embiid. That's right. Uh-huh. So people want to want to want to blow that up, and you know they, they want to say like, oh, the chemistry issues. I would rather they have that that that's that that incident, a two second incident, <clears throat> than them just lower their heads and drag their feet to the sideline because it shows that they care and they want to figure this out and they're frustrated by what's happening. Now, if this is a continual thing, then yeah, they'll stop caring and they'll say, "Well, we're 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 screwed anyway. It's over." But they're trying to figure it out. At least they care. That's a step in the right direction. So I don't think you go away from Shake Milton. I don't think you 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 banish him to the the bench. You have to roll with this and give it a chance to work until you've exhausted the option and it's just not. Working and then at which point I'll eat my words. I said that I wrote a a, a, a damn college thesis on Shake Milton being the being the best option and or being the solution. I'll say I was wrong. Maybe he's not the solution. Shake Milton was supposed to be a first round pick when the year he was drafted, but an injury got just dropped his his draft stock. So Shake Milton has potential. He can handle the ball. He can shoot it. Last night was a very 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 cold awakening for him. He got crushed by T.J. McConnell. By, by the way, T.J. McConnell knew the Sixers' plays. He was calling the Sixers out and basically calling Brett Brown's bluff last night. And it was, you know, pretty pretty obvious, pretty embarrassing if you're the Sixers. Um, and so he was getting crushed. Pacers were targeting Milton often in the half court because they knew, and Brett Brown even alluded to this previously, they knew Milton was not ready for the physicality of playing starting minutes in a in a crucial game against a playoff opponent. Yeah, you're right. And I think Joel Embiid and, and Shake Milton, that interaction is getting a little overblown. Uh, I don't think Shake was in the doghouse because of that. He had three fouls by half. And in the third quarter, he played three minutes and picked up a foul. But I think Austin – you're right. There's going to be growing pains with Shake Milton as the starting point guard, but it's something worth experimenting if it eventually works for Philadelphia. Because right now, there really is no creation from a point guard on this team in the half court, and there hasn't been. 
Um, but I do think that I, I'm also a little annoyed that another TJ was able to find so much success against Philadelphia and TJ McConnell. And how'd he do it in the pick and roll? How did Doug McDermott score in the pick and roll? How did TJ Leaf score in the pick and roll? This by the way, was, he looked ahead. awful last night, TJ Leaf. He looked horrible. Yeah, he's just one of those players who you look at on the court and it's just like you cringe. Like, I don't know. Anything he does <laughs> is just ugly. He, he, he was a pretty good shooter in college, though. I don't know what happened. Um, but, but nonetheless, I, I think Brett Brown is really jeopardizing the success of Philadelphia by putting his players in these positions. It's – leaving guards on islands in the pick and roll. It's dropping bigs on the pick and roll to allow them to get put in a situation where I either have to pick up the guard driving now and the big gets the ball, or if I don't pick up the guard driving, the guard just gets an easy bucket. It's it's defensively making your players go over every single screen. It's on offense, not having any accountability for your players so they can just stand still and let things happen. No plays in the half court. It's just certain – Certain ways I think Brett Brown is using his personnel in which it's counterproductive. And, of course, you can make a point that the personnel isn't productive for, for what Brett Brown wants to achieve. So then you can defer blame to Elton Brand. But in a game like last night, I don't think there are any new problems that Philadelphia encountered. These are overarching problems that people have been dissecting for both this season and in years past. It's their turnover bug that haunted them. There was multiple players before turnovers. It's – the, the the pick and roll ball handler defense. It's just these things that we have seen time and time again as Philadelphia fans. And it's just infuriating knowing that there's no end to them. It's just going to keep happening regardless of the personnel. Yeah. I mean, I think there are variables at play there, but I think at this point they, they've seen such turnover and they're still having the same issues. Clearly it's, it's, it's comes from people not on the court, the coach management, Whatever, but um, you. I, I want to run back to something that you said earlier about you know the defense out of those staggered screens pitches are running. Mm-hmm. Um, they with when the fact that you have to that Benjamin has to chase them through the screens in order to get the TJ Warren indicates to me that you know why does he have to run through the screens? Why isn't the help there? Maybe the help isn't there because the help doesn't trust that their help, so the helper's helper, is going to be there. Because if you go to help on that screen, that's going to leave your man open. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't believe that your teammate's going to recover and, and, and shift over, rotate over, and then your guy's going to get an easy look and then he's going to come back and look at you, you don't want to rotate over. You're not going to take the blame. For, for your guy getting an easy look. So I wonder if that's sort of an indicator that the people on the court, on the defensive side of the ball, don't trust each other yet, or at least not, maybe not yet, maybe not at all, period, ever. But the help should be there on those screens, and it just hasn't been there. And to me, it's a growing sign that whether it's MB not trusting Harris or, you know, um, you know Harris not trusting Shake, whatever. There's a lack of continuity and chemistry and trust on the defensive side of the ball that makes it basically, you know, you're going to have to chase him through the screen because I can't leave my guy because I don't trust that he's going to come over to help on my guy. So when you have that and it's cyclical, 
it makes it pretty easy for the opponent to score repetitively and in the same ways over and over and over again. Um, I want to go over to Tobias Harris, who I thought was, you know, was, was as good as, as, as we could have asked for last night. I mean, he had the 29 shots to get 30 points, not that efficient. A lot of it was, you know, plays at the rim where he's just trying to get, you know, try, trying to get the contact and, and finish the play. A lot of big bodies down there that I thought he was, uh, you know, um, he, he played about as well as you could have asked for 30 points last night. Um, and you know, he faded a little bit in that fourth quarter. Um, but you know, any slander you have for Tobias Harris last night is purely out of a, out of a, a narrative or an agenda anyway. Yeah, 24 of the 27 shots in the fourth quarter came from Toby, Ben, or Joel. I like that, and I also said I like the volume of shooting from Tobias Harris. I'm not going to complain. Uh, my only question to you, Austin, is if you have five seconds left on the shot clock, not even on the shot clock, shot clock's unplugged. You've got five seconds on the clock, right? Who is taking your final shot for Philadelphia? Regardless of the outcome, if you're down three, it goes to a three-point shooter on the floor. If you're down two, I think it goes to Joel. But I think Philadelphia really needs to address that in this offseason. If there's five seconds on the clock, who's taking the last shot for Philadelphia? And the fact that it's probably only two players on the floor when there's five deployed is problematic. Yep. No, I, I agree. The spacing is poor. I was watching the Mavericks game the other night, or the, you know, against against Houston. And I'm looking. I'm thinking, like, who are they going to deploy in, the, in this last possession for a chance to win the game? Maybe three or four seconds left. And then, you know, everyone expected to go to Doncic or Porzingis. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, like, you have two, three other guys in the court who could shoot the basketball who are threats. Yeah. I would go with with, with with Tim Hardaway Jr. Or mm-hmm. I'd go with or I go with or I go with um, Dorian Finney Smith. And it doesn't even have to be that they're just isolated up there. You can run a play to get them a look. Like you know, you you, you know, you they, they, they Dantich goes base side, the help comes over, and then you fling it, um, you know, you fling it across the, the corner, and you have an open guy in, in, the, in the corner. The Sixers don't have anybody they can rely on consistently for that, and that's where it goes above Brett Brown. That's where it goes to the management of the franchise. Elton Brand said, "I have a, a point forward who won't shoot. I have a center who is dominant. He needs spacing though because he commits turnovers." Why don't I go get? Uh, why don't I let uh, JJ Redick walk and bring in Al Horford? That makes sense. That is absurd management of a franchise. You need to get these guys spacing, and if 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 some franchise in the NBA lets them out of this out of this jail that they that they might be headed towards with these contracts, you have a, a new lease on life. With what this team can be, you get off that money, you can you know make a trade, you can go get you know new role players, but you can't mess it up again. You can't mess it up again. If you can get off the Horford deal, you have to get spacers in there. You need to hire an independent consultant. Maybe bring back, bring, maybe even bring back Jerry Colangelo for all for all for all I know. <laughs> but you need. If you get a second chance at this, you need to get it right and put the right pieces in place. Empower your big man. I don't think that Embiid looks at this franchise, looks at at his his bosses and says, you guys value me. Because what they did this offseason was they took away two of his favorite teammates 
and they brought in Al Horford, who doesn't help his spacing issues at all. They're not they're not catering to um, you know they're they're not catering to 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 the needs of your franchise player, and that's how you get a guy disgruntled. That's how you get a guy wanting out. Another problem is that he probably doesn't look at his bosses as bosses. He looks at them as, as probably friends. mutuals or friends. And that's another thing that could be problematic. But we've spent countless shows talking about Brett Brown and Elton Brown and the disciples in Philadelphia. But one thing that we didn't talk about that I think is pretty significant was TJ Warren's final bucket. And it appeared Philadelphia was in man to man. It almost looked like two, three that morphed in a man, but Regardless of Philadelphia's defensive scheme on that play, Ben Simmons leaves his defensive assignment to play help defense with six seconds on the shot clock on a guard dribbling to the free throw line, leaving the man with 50 points wide open, two feet beyond the perimeter. And TJ Warren hit that three with five seconds on the shot clock, and it made me scratch my head. I don't know if that's a lack of defensive awareness by Ben Simmons or – if he felt like maybe doubling would help him swipe the ball away or get a deflection on a pass out of that. But you cannot leave T.J. Warren wide open for his final shot of the game, and he's got 50 points. That's something that just doesn't make any sense to me. That needs to be denied defense. You need to take that shot away. He should not even have that look. And if he does have that look, it should be generated off of a screen or off of an inbounds play. He shouldn't just get a wide open three with one shot left in the game. That that's something that bothered me. Yeah, no, they they, they needed to stay attached at the hip, and it was it was hilarious that they let him get it open like that. Um, Piero TB three says uh, the key is putting the players in the right situations and playing to your players' strengths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And down the of that fourth quarter, they didn't do that, and the offense stagnated. Um, and they and they let T.J. Warren get a second win. T.J. Warren had 12 points in the last five minutes of the game. He had a pair of he had six points in the last minute of the game. So you had your closer on the other end of the court, and you know it it, it was it was oh God. Um, you can't move. Uh, M2G says you can't move away from Shake. It at least the lineup change. Trio were so strong in the paint because they had space. Shake has gravitational pull, no matter if he hit the three or not. I agree with that. I, I I agree with that. I think you have to ride with Shake Milton on, on you know on the court and really make it you know at least let him prove that he's not worthy of the opportunity. In which case, okay, fine. You have to make a business decision. You have to put in the right players there. But I wouldn't move away from Shake after one game. That's for sure. Um, this is the Lions' first game playing first time playing together, certainly. And I think that's absolutely a, a contributing factor to why we saw such chaos last night. They, they was the first time playing a game together, All, and and then on top of that, it's a against a playoff team. It's a team that you know you're trying to you're you're trying to you know win against and and and, and leapfrog in the playoff standings. I get that. Um, yeah, I mean th- this this is an interesting point. Uh, that's part of the issue with Joel missing games. Brock, let me ask you this. Yeah. At what point do you consider maybe okay? We need to b- build around Ben, not Joel. And that think, isn't that yeah. isn't and that isn't saying like trade Joel, but yeah. when do you make it the point of we need we need to we need to plan for you know building a team around Ben Simmons? Me personally, I need to see another coach in Philadelphia try to work their lineups out and 
work with their personnel. And if that doesn't work ultimately because the unit can't become cohesive with the dominant big and Ben Simmons, then I think you'd look towards maybe building the roster a little differently. But that's something I wouldn't do prematurely. I'd have to see at least one coach from Philadelphia prior to doing that. One different coach, I should say, a different voice in the locker room. Yeah, I think you can have two guys in the NBA who are top, who are objectively top 15 players and, and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And I think I would start building around Ben Simmons now because the one because Joel because uh, Ben has been a bigger constant than Joel has been. You you, you can't build a team around um, you, you can't build a team around a guy who 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 is not there all the time. And I'm mm-hmm. not trying I'm not trying to call into question Joel's injury history, but I'm just stating a fact: the team crumbles when he's not on the court. That's because they're built around him. Let me also say this. I talked a lot about other teams in the East. I want to look at Toronto because I watched Toronto's game last night and the Raptors look phenomenal and their point differential, their record, everything up until this point in the regular season last year is identical this season, just a little better. So the Raptors are still beating teams by the same margin defensively. They're just as good. And they're led by head coach Nick Nurse. Now, if you look at Toronto under Dwayne Casey, they were consistently good, but couldn't get past a certain point. And they had the talent to do so. They just could never beat LeBron James or get anywhere further than they could in the East. Nick Nurse comes in. Kawhi Leonard comes, and that's huge as well. But Nurse implements a new defensive scheme where you kind of swarm to the basketball. It's almost like a wall forms. Offensively, they're hitting on all cylinders. And look at how many homegrown prospects are thriving in Toronto's system. OG Ananubi. Pascal Siakam, Norm Powell, Van Vliet, Terrence Davis. There's a lot of players on Toronto that Toronto committed to. They built a system around, and that system works. The same can be said for Milwaukee, maybe other teams in the East. Philadelphia, I do think they have problems, and and this season definitely didn't help with personnel. But the question is going to be, can you match a downhill attacking forward like Ben Simmons who can facilitate with Joel Embiid, who's – probably going to be stationed in the paint more often than not. Can you pair the two of them and three players around them and still be as productive as you want to be? And people will say no because Joel Embiid may, may, may hinder Ben Simmons' game because if he's standing there at the low block, it kind of interferes with what Ben Simmons want to do, wants to do, and Simmons needs that spacing. Joel Embiid needs spacing. So there's a lot of answers that Philadelphia is going to have to seek. They, they have to address these problems, but – I do think that the last point M2G made is a valid point. It's tough to create this chemistry and this continuity if Joel Embiid is going to miss games, whether that be due to load management or due to little injury bugs. It's tough to create a constant chemistry and a constant system with a player that, that's not as durable as, as, as other players on the team. Yeah, no, and I agree. Um, let me just look here. Um, Green says, not Ben. He never touched the ball in crunch time. I think there's a way that you can incorporate Ben in crunch time where it's like if you have him in the dunker spot and you have Embiid playing the middle, if you get it to the free throw line, the defense comes up to contest Embiid, that leaves Ben open, boom, dunk. Um, you know, and, and that, that, you know, that works in theory, obviously. If it's applied differently, coaches are going to defend that differently in game plan. But I think you can use Ben as a pick and roll screener in crunch time and find spacing. Um, um, you know, and find spacing uh, that way. 
But I, I don't think you. I, I do not think you should just go away from uh, <clears throat> um, from from Ben Simmons and crunch time. He also says, "Hell no, bring back Hinky." I would certainly have. I would uh, think about how much different this team could be if, if Hinky was still here. The NBA, the NBA hated him, but this team would have. I, I, I have a feeling this team would have been a lot better built if, if Hinky were still here. Maybe, maybe. I'm not sure if I'm 100% comfortable saying that. Uh, Toronto is the defending NBA champion. They don't have a pick within the top 10. Um, so you never know, but it'd be interesting to play with. Yeah. Uh, Christopher D- Dibler says, if Shake Milton can't shake, pun intended, <laughs> off the nerves moving forward, what is the ceiling of this team in the playoffs? Um, if, it, if it's the same team, they're, the best they can do is second round. I don't think they can get past two playoff opponents. Um you know, if 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 they had to revert to their old ways, they're just they're far too inconsistent. And when they go through cold spells from the field, it isn't one or two games; it's it's a series of games, four or so. In playoffs, that's death. Here's what I'll say about Shake Milton, and this may seem unrelated, but Michael Thomas, the New Orleans Saints wide receiver, his Twitter handle has been and still is at Can't Guard Mike KD Easy Money Sniper. Now, why does this relate to Shake Milton? His Twitter handle is at Sniper Shake, and it has been at Sniper Shake. He's not lying. He was a sniper in college. He's been doing pretty well in the NBA and limited opportunities. So I, I, am, I am standing behind Shake. If he's as confident in his shot as he appears to be, then I think eventually it'll all make sense. Uh, one bad game, foul trouble, uh, turnover riddled. But I, I agree with you, Austin. I would not go away from the Shake Melt experiment simply because – he is a third or fourth shooter on the floor, and seeing Howell Neto or Al, Al Horford as your primary floor spacers and catching shooters is just horrendous to me. Absolutely. Well, we, we got to go. It's been an hour. <laughs> we we, we got to go back and do other work now. Um, Brock, any parting shots for the, for the for No, the No parting shots. Just make sure to tune into my next video. We're going to have Mikhail Bridges, uh, that video uploaded by the end of, end of today probably, so make sure to tune into that in my YouTube. He's Landis Brock on Twitter. Um, Brock does phenomenal videos uh, for you know the Painted Lines YouTube, as well as his own uh, enjoyment. Um, Brock's a wild dude. Say that. <laughs> um, you, you know you can find me on on Twitter at KrellTPL. Um, I'm working on you know film now that the Sixers coming back. I'm I'm part time beat guy with with, with Jason and uh, more articles coming out soon. Hopefully. Um, as always, thank you for tuning into the feed to Embiid. Uh, continue commenting and asking questions and 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 and, and whatnot. Uh, please subscribe on Apple Pods and give us a rating. We we always appreciate the feedback. Um, st- everybody, stay safe. Continue to wear your masks. Um, we're gonna get th- we're gonna get through this thing with or without the Sixers, probably without them. Um, yeah. But uh, he's Brock Landis. I'm Austin Krell. As always, thank you for tuning in, everybody. Stay safe and have a good week. Time for breakfast. <laughs> the feed to Embiid and its name are protected by U.S. copyright laws. Reproduction and distribution without my written permission is prohibited. Copyright the feed to Embiid 2020.